in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my quick witted co host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Doing awesome, Patrick. Patrick, I almost had an accident because I was lazy. You were lazy. Yep. I had a pocket knife in my pocket that has a safety. It's a spring-loaded knife. And I thought the safety was on, but I didn't check it because I didn't feel like checking it. And it opened up while I was driving. And luckily, it opened up up and just came through my cargo shorts. And this goes directly back to what you and I talked about a couple episodes ago where the opposite of safety is laziness. I, I believe it's – I honestly believe that's true. Yeah. So I, I made a mistake and I could have paid a much bigger price and a hole in my shorts. If our audience doesn't know what we're talking about, I'll put a link to the previous episode. Yeah, and before we go any further, you know, if you're a supporter of the show, if you like the show, the best way you can do to support the show is to leave us a review. Leaving us a review allows other people to recognize that uh, the show is worth listening to. And we have a review that I honestly can't read, Patrick, because I can't open it up. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, whoever it was that left us a review, we'll get you back on the show next week. But if you want to be like the person that left us a review that I can't open, just uh, please leave us a review. It helps us support the show. And Patrick, we have guests today. We do. We have Apex Fire Suppression Systems here. We've got Nate Edmondson and Ken Knapp. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And Nate, you actually found me online, didn't you? Yeah, I've been a podcast listener for a while now and uh, really enjoyed the show. And so I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Yeah. And so uh, Nate found me online. I reached out to him. We had a great conversation. I go, man, we need to get you on the show. And y'all just happened to be here in Houston because where are y'all headquartered? Raleigh, North Carolina. Which is beautiful this time of year. Yeah. Just gorgeous. Yeah. And Ken, you've actually spent a lot of time here in Houston. Yes. I've been working here with uh, Oil and Gas Company and uh, I've been here for about eight years. So looking forward to moving to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. So when it's going to be August in North Carolina and people are complaining about the heat, try not to make fun of them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you actually get all four seasons. You'll actually get snow. You'll actually have all four seasons in proportion. Unlike Houston, who's we're all summer two weeks of rain, some cool weather, and then it's summer again. <laughs> exactly. And then, so Nate, Aphex, y'all do fire suppression systems. We we're talking today at lunch and y'all do some really cool stuff because I never thought about having to have a system that will automatically put out a fire on something like a vehicle or a pump or something, but that's right in y'all's sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've been around for 50 years and all we've ever done is heavy equipment fire suppression. And it's a really niche industry, but we try to be heavy equipment people that specialize in fire suppression. Yeah. And when I think of, of the oil and gas industry, it's heavy equipment from one end to the other, but y'all have done a lot of work in the frack fields. That's right. Yeah. There's hundreds of frack and other related completions equipment that now has uh, Apex fire suppression systems on them. Yeah. And Ken, you brought up a really interesting point at lunch. And it's the fact that the cost of the downtime may be five, 10, a hundred times more than the cost of the equipment. So the fire suppression systems y'all put in actually help prevent downtime. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a huge thing in this industry because when you have downtime, you have non-productive time, you have loss of production. I mean, you're looking, you could be looking at millions of dollars a day all because a piece of equipment caught on fire and you couldn't replace it in the field for a month or two. That is correct. Yeah. And so Nate, I mean, that's, that's literally what y'all do. Yeah. So productivity is one of the key things that we're protecting as well as the uh, health and safety of the operators on and around the equipment. 
Yeah. So besides making sure the people are safe, you're making sure the equipment is safe. And if something goes wrong, it puts itself out. There's not somebody there cranking on a fire extinguisher, right? Exactly. Yeah. We don't want frack hands to have to be firemen as well. They need to be making sure the systems are up and running. And so the system will automatically detect the fire and then extinguish it as well. Yeah. And then you told me something really cool. It actually talks to the engine and it tells the engine to shut off. That's right. So it's it's talking to the engine shutdown or the e-kill sequence. And it's also talking to the the engine and the electronics on the machine. Yeah, because you don't want that engine to keep pulling fuel out of a fuel tank somewhere and f- just basically feed it to a fire. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess in practice, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this actually, I mean, not in a probably, I don't know how, if you, maybe you have, maybe you have seen a real incident going on, but I'm sure you've seen it in practice. How long does it take between the time the sensors sense that something's going bad, there's a fire, and they actually puts the fire out? So the sensor's going to sense the, the heat from the fire pretty much immediately, and it sends a signal back. And then it's actually up to the operations how quick the response is going to be. Sometimes the, on equipment that's moving, they want a period of time to get the equipment stopped get the people oh, out there and then set the system yeah. up, right? On other operations, they want to go off as soon as the fire is detected. So they get, actually get to control when the system goes off. And then it's just a matter of seconds before the agent is spraying on the equipment and uh, the whole thing's over in, you know, a minute or two. Yeah. So something that could have turned into a two or three hour ordeal, literally in a couple of minutes, y'all snuffed out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it can be a lot more than a couple hours if it's a significant loss. You know, then we're talking about days, weeks, and especially if somebody's got to come out there and investigate it. So that can really drag out a production. So tell our audience a little bit about how it's actually operating, because I think a lot of them are familiar with automatic fire suppression systems that are more of a, a mechanical. The heat flames from a fire has broken a coupling that's that's set off the system, whether it's in a in a galley or just in an office building. So how is your system different? Because you said it's not mechanical. Right. Yeah. Since it's for heavy equipment, everything's got to be really rugged. So it's all electronic when it comes to the detection. So that's the sensors that are actually detecting the fire. Once they send the signal back, there's a control unit that's going to receive that input and confirm that it's a fire. That'll signal the controls on the machine, as well as usually a data van or whoever's monitoring the machine. And then it sends a a charge out to the tanks, which will then get pressurized and blow agent out onto the engine and other protected components. And what defines a fire in this system? Is it, is it the, the heat level? Is it changing the O2 mixture? What, what actually defines a fire with the system? Yeah, it's a, it's a set heat point above the operating temperature of the piece of equipment. Okay. Yeah. And so you actually said something that I didn't think about before, but besides your ability to snuff out a fire before it becomes catastrophic, you have the opposite side too. So your equipment's not going to go off when it shouldn't go off, which which, once again, touch production, right? Because it's not mechanical because it's electronic and there's checks and balances built into the system. And that's a good selling point because if you've ever worked on a mechanical system where you've got to clean it or do maintenance on it, you have to be very careful with those systems not to set it off while while you're putting it in a safe position before you start working on it. Right. Every component's made for heavy equipment. So every component is very rugged. You don't have to have kid gloves on while you're working with it. Yeah. And when I think about, you know, we're talking about motors and pumps and stuff like that, but even something like a hydraulic line, I mean, a lot of what we do as an industry, there's always something flammable nearby, <laughs> right? And, and hydraulic fluid itself, if you heat it to the right temperature, it's extremely flammable. That's actually the number one cause of fires on uh, heavy power diesel operations like oil and gas. The high pressure hydraulics that are flowing right around the engine, 
those machines are running 24 seven and you do all the maintenance you can, but every now and then you miss a hose and they'll get a small, what's called a pinhole leak. So a very tiny leak in it. And that's spraying high pressure hydraulics that say your turbo. And that's what ignites. That's what starts the fire. So yeah, hydraulics are actually the number one cause of fire on those yeah, machines. And you take that hydraulic, hydraulic fluid under pressure at high temperature. When it comes out of a pinhole, it's being turned to a vapor, right? And, and that's a, that's a, that, that's a no win situation right there. Yeah. You nailed it. Cause that's actually the most flammable hydraulics can get, right, is when it's under pressure and when it's atomized. It's extremely flammable because the surface area of those droplets is so small, they ignite instantaneously. Yeah. Lord knows where that came from. Somewhere in my last 20 years, I learned that from somewhere. It came out like I knew what I was talking about. And so when I think about a frack site, I mean, there's, there's multiple layers of equipment before you frack the well, before you complete the well, that also it's in the same situation, right? You can't have a piece of equipment go down. It's in a dangerous environment, high temperature, high pressure. Even the stuff we're drilling for is flammable, right? So being able to stay on top of all those separate disparage ignition sources with a, a system that will shut it down and put the fire off, it happens, you know, right. It, you could keep a catastrophe from happening easily. In fact, you'll probably have multiple times. Yeah, that's right. And we found that producers have asked us to come and talk to their contractors because each one of them is bringing in their own diesel-powered operations. And so they want to make sure that each operation that's going on on the pad is protected from fire. So you mentioned a little earlier about the, the agents that you use, and we talked at lunch. So what kind, of, what kind of agents are being used for this fire suppression? Sure. So the industry standard for decades now has been dry powder. So that protects against Class A, which is debris, Class B, flammable liquids and class C where you have an energized electrical fire. It's been the go-to thing. You might have it under your kitchen sink. You probably have it hanging in your shop wall. It has a really quick knockdown of flames. The second agent is what's called liquid agent. And so it sprays on the hot surfaces like a turbo, like an exhaust. And now uh, these engines have what's called tier four, which is a, a new EPA emissions requirement. So they got these two huge canisters on top of the engine that are kind of like a catalytic converter. Those things get super hot. And so that liquid agent is going to spray on all those hot surfaces and cool them down as well as suppress fires in them. So because this is a primarily to protect the equipment. We talked earlier, there is some, you definitely want to protect life and, and, yes. and health, but a lot of these systems are focused directly onto the engine. And that's, that's really where the benefit comes is protecting equipment. Is there a problem with using the dry cam on these electrical systems? Cause that's, you are going to damage equipment when you're using dry cam on electrical. Is the, is the damage negligible or is it, does it cause some issues after the fire suppression? Yeah, good question. You have risk with both, right? Cause if it's an energized electrical fire, then liquid agent's a bad choice because you're going to, it's going to conduct electricity. You're right that you don't want to expose sensitive electronics to dry powder that's then gotten wet. As long as it's dry, it's not corrosive. But once it's wet, you know, it, it can corrode right. those. So you want to clean it up after it's been discharged. Okay. But it's a lot worse to clean up after a fire than it is to clean up after a discharge. Right. And what about uh, CO2 and foam in these systems? Is Sure. Yeah, we've seen, uh, we've seen some foam systems on there. The reason that we don't offer that as an option is because foam is actually trapping the heat on these hot components, and it's it's not doing what it needs to for those applications. You know, foam's great for an airplane hangar where you've got fuel all over the place, but uh, for these applications, you really want to get everything suppressed and cooled down as quick as possible. So you don't have another fire, right? You've got hot ignition sources there. You could actually have a second fire once the suppression system's depleted. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, that makes sense too. I mean, foam's supposed to be a blanket that stops the, you know, separates the two. But yeah, if you've got high pressure hydraulic just spraying through, foam's not going to do much to keep that down. Exactly. And Ken, you actually, I didn't realize this, you actually have an engineering background, don't you? Yeah, mechanical engineering. Yeah. And you've been in our industry for a very long time. Yeah, several years. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's from an engineering point of view, when you come in and you see all of this work that Aflac has done and being able to adapt to different power systems, it must be kind of cool from a mechanical engineering point of view. It's like, oh, I understand exactly what that's going on or exactly what's going on with that. Yeah, I, I've been very impressed with the uh, Apex and the process that they've gone through and analyzing and engineering a system that uh, protects the equipment as well as the people and how meticulous they are in the process with the uh, risk assessment. These are made to uh, purpose or, or purposely made systems. And although a lot of the equipment is very similar, there are some differences. And as you're designing the system, you want to make sure that it's uh, purpose fit. And the only thing worse than not having a fire suppression system is having a fire suppression system that's not adequate for what you need yeah. because then you're under a false sense of security that, yeah. that it's going to be taken care of. So, yeah, Apex has, has done a great job in, in working through these fire systems. So is everything custom or is it you have kind of a design for a, uh, you know, a frack truck or? Yeah, so there's actually a process that we go through. There's, there's kind of a standard that we start with, uh, a format, almost like a checklist that we do some risk assessments as we're looking at the piece of equipment around where there's hot surfaces, where there's ignition sources, where there's fuel sources, and then the locations of these things. So although a frack pump might be very similar, you may have some fuel filters in different spaces. You may have some um, different orientations of the of the process. And it's important to to, to design the layout of where you want your hoses, where you want your, your nozzles close to those areas that not only they'll knock down the fire, but that as in normal maintenance is being taken place on these uh, pieces of equipment throughout the years that they're running, that they're not going to damage the fire suppression system. So everything's got a, 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 at least a component of customization to it. Exactly. Yeah, we got a set. We have a set of parts that we're going to use for every machine, but where they go, how they get installed is customized for each machine that they're going on. That's right. Is there any piece of equipment that you're, the, this type of system isn't suitable for, whether it's the design, the layout, whether it's too cramped, too open space, or can you pretty much put this on anything? You can put it on anything. There are regulations that, let's say we're in a fixed building, you know, if in here, we're not going to put an AFEX system in here because the maker of this building has certain codes they have to meet. But pretty much any heavy-duty piece of mobile equipment, AFIX is going to be a good fit for that application. And for the um, – we talked a little bit at lunch about the the cost-benefit. Is, you know, is there just low-risk or low-cost equipment? You're just not going to put this kind of system on, even though it's a good safeguard. You just, you'd rather scrap the equipment than, than spend the money to save it. You know, I, I'm sure you all would say put it on everything, but what, what is the real-life application for how small is too small or how cheap is too cheap? Yeah, different customers have different uh, thresholds for what they'll accept. Some customers might have it at $100,000. They're going to protect anything that's above that. Some might set it at you know half a million, but it's the cost of, you know what's it going to cost me to lose this piece of equipment? How long do I have to wait before a replacement piece of equipment can come? And then how much money am I losing while I'm waiting? And like you were saying, uh, like we were talking about at lunch, 
that number, that production number is usually the driver because that's usually the biggest number is how much am I losing while I'm not producing. Yeah. And this is such specialized equipment. I was thinking about it while you were talking. Y'all have to be using very high quality, either off the shelf parts or y'all have to be designing y'all's own parts, right? For this to be as vibration resistant, because this can't fail. This has to be your zero defect product. Yeah. And we actually have to go through a, what's called a listing process with a company called Factory Mutual. I always compare them to like UL underwriters laboratories in that they are a testing body that will actually test us to our a standard, which for this application is heavy duty mobile equipment. And they test every part, like you're saying, for vibration resistance, extreme environment, heat, cold, moisture, dust, electromechanical interference. And then they come into our operations on a regular basis, many times a year, and confirm that we're shipping out the same parts that we tested with them. So there's a, there's a testing process and then a surveillance process that we have to maintain. That's cool. So you, it's like you have this independent third party making sure that what goes out the door is what it's supposed to be. And this only helps you make sure you deliver high quality, valuable products to your clients. So nothing slips through y'all's supply chain. Exactly. And our customers appreciate it because it helps them get uh, discounts with their insurers because the insurance company is going to say, it's got to be listed for me to give you a discount. You can't just go buy something at Walmart, bolt it on your machine and say that now it's protected from fire. It's got to be a listed system by a recognized third party. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's funny. It's um, one of my favorite things about this industry. I've been in it for a long time. Every time you talk to somebody that has a piece of the business that you don't know, you learn something new. Like I never in a million years would have thought there would have been this third party, but it makes total sense. And then the insurance companies, of course, get the peace of mind that the equipment there is going to do what it's supposed to do. So they're willing to back off on the price a little bit because they don't, they don't, they're not incurring as much risk as they would have if they didn't know what was there. Exactly. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So right out of the factory, we'll, we'll call it, you know, Six Sigma level failure rate, which is you know, good. What about down the line a year or two later that you're requiring guys in the field to do the maintenance? I guess my question is, you know, how much maintenance is required? Is this just a set it and forget it system or do you need to constantly make sure the guys in the field are keeping it up? Yeah, just like any piece of equipment that's on the the main, you know, frack pump, blender, drill, whatever you're running, you have to do a daily walkthrough. And so there's a couple things that the AFEX system will add to that daily walkthrough checklist. And then there is a semi-annual inspection that's required by the National Fire Protection Association for heavy equipment in that every six months at least you've got to get on the machine and actually test out the AFEX system and make sure it's up to code, make sure you test every line, everything's ready to go electrically, uh, pneumatically, make sure the, the chemical's ready to go and just do a full inspection and make sure it's ready in the event of a fire. And then does AFEX help, do you help with your clients? You help them take that extra bit of training that they need, the extra walkthrough time and help get them up to speed? Yeah, our goal is to be integrated into their quality system. If we can have our checklists incorporated into theirs, it makes them a better operation. So we try to train them on the end user level as well as the distributor level, whoever is actually going out there and doing the service on the equipment. Since we're on the on the maintenance discussion, where is the I guess the greatest point of failure for these type of systems? If, if as you're doing maintenance, doing the symbols annual inspection, where are the where are the points? Actually, not just on fire suppression, but what what do what do your clients need to be looking at for protecting their equipment when they're doing these inspections, semi annual, annual, or, or daily? That's a really good question. You would start at leak points, so your hosing, your tubes, anywhere that's conducting fluid or pressure is most likely where you're going to see 
a potential failure. So we have our guys actually connect to high pressure, you know, shop air and make sure that there are no leaks detected as well as a physical inspection to make sure there's no dry rot or other wear and tear on those key leak points for pressure and for fluid conduction. Now, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is when I think about a pad site, I would not want to be on a pad site while they're drilling and if there's a fire. Because there's equipment everywhere. There's flammable stuff all around. Stuff's usually jacked together. You got, you know, 17 inches between walkways between stuff. It's, um, I mean, this, being able to take those smaller fires and put them out before it turns into something big is, is huge, especially on, on, on a frack site. Yeah, when you look at total cost and losing all the equipment on a, on a pad site, because everything's parked right next to each other. So if one goes, they're all going to go. And then you look at the environmental at- impact and the production loss, you're looking at tens of millions of dollars on impact to your business if you have a fire on a pad site. Yeah. And that, that reminds me, Mark, I was down in South Texas just a few months ago. We, it wasn't related to the hurricane, but there were some se- severe rains. And it put, I mean, uh, it turned the site into like, it was two feet of mud. So you've got all this equipment, and now it's even hard to walk, let alone if there was a fire in an emergency and you need to get from point A to point B, and now you're doing it in this. Uh, yeah, I would not want to be there when that, if something goes south. Yeah. It's, um, so do y'all also, I mean, I know y'all do a lot of work. We talk a lot about pad sites, frack sites and stuff like that. Um, but the whole industry can use this. I mean, the, the pipeline guides have a need for this, the downstream guy, the refineries of petrochemicals. They also have the same situation where they have a bunch of heavy, expensive equipment sitting somewhere that needs protection. So it's really, your product's really not just an upstream product. It's anywhere in the industry where you have a piece of equipment that you need to protect. Exactly. Yeah. Any piece of heavy duty machinery, there's a, there's a fit for it. I think the the biggest draws have been where there have been incidents. Uh, so years ago, we heard about uh, several fires on frack sites and some of these major loss incidents. And these machines are running the same engines that we protect in mining, that we protect in forestry, that we protect in uh, steel and slag, molten metal. So all these heavy-duty industries, we saw a real need that we could help out. And so we got involved, got to know the the players, the manufacturers, the end users, and started working with them to implement the same protection that we had in other heavy equipment industries. And it's just grown from there. So it's, we saw a need and we definitely saw an opportunity to help out. And we've, we've been really happy to get involved in this industry. Cause like you said, it's, it's a whole different ball game from a lot of other industries. It's, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a different industry, but one of the things that's different about it, and I shouldn't say it this way because I don't know other industries. One of the things I'm most proud of is that the people in our industry, the leadership in our industry, sincerely care about the people going home safe at night. Yes, it's a metric. Yes, it's a KPI, but in their hearts, they want to make sure people go home the same way they came to work that day. Yep. And y'all are helping doing that, making sure that happens. Yeah, we're happy to have a small part in that goal. And and like you said, it is a very safety-focused industry. So there's actually health and safety people to go talk to. So that's that's a big starting point to just say, hey, what's your risk? How can we help? And just getting the conversation started. So, yeah, where, where does that conversation start? You talked at lunch about talking with some of the manufacturers, but is this a retrofit on existing equipment or do you have to get in there when the equipment's being assembled? Retrofit is one of the easiest ones to do because you have the frame, you have the equipment already made, and and it just bolts on using existing mounting points. A lot of times, though, a customer decides they want it while it's being built, and so we come in there with the manufacturer, 
get it installed at the factory. So it's really a, a yes and. It's it's really, you know, when do you want it installed and do you already have the equipment and you want to retrofit or do you want to get it done on your next order? But then, you know what, Patrick, then if they do it, it while it's being built, you have to worry about scope creep. So what if, the, <laughs> what if that cabinet was six by four and then somebody says, no, I want it six, six by four. All of a sudden you got an extra six inches by four feet that you weren't planning for, right? So you got to pay attention almost to what the as-builts are versus what starts off in the factory. Yeah, there's there's always change. Uh, you always go out there with a lot of extra equipment because you never know what's going to look like by the time you leave. I've seen scope creep get so bad on a subsea tree that it exceeded the lifting capabilities of the crane on the rig. And there was like, <laughs> how do we actually get it on there? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it so bad where it literally, the change orders were more than the original order. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and you stop, and nothing against engineers, please don't take it the wrong way. <laughs> and you stop and you go, why do we have a bunch of engineers working on this if they're going to design it after it's built to make it do what it wants to do? I mean, I can do that, you know? I'm sure the engineers would be saying, if you would have told me everything you wanted to do <laughs> yeah, at the beginning, yeah. I could have designed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too. That's funny. Yeah, this is all really cool stuff. You know, it's time for a Red Wing uh, safety tip of the week, and I think y'all actually have one, don't you? Oh, absolutely. So I just want to share, and you can apply this to any piece of equipment that you've got that's got a fire risk. The number one cause of loss is not shutting off the engine, not shutting it down because you're literally pumping fuel onto the flames. You're fanning the flames in a lot of cases where the fan's literally blowing onto the (laughs) engine. So whether it's your truck on fire or your frag pump on fire, if it's on fire, exit safely, but turn it off as you're exiting safely. Yeah, great tip. Because you know what? I don't know if I would have thought about that if my vehicle catches on fire. Actually, I told a story at lunch where I didn't think about that. Well, even if, you, even if you're trained, in the heat of the moment, you may forget. So just remembering that you shut off that fuel source, whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Nate, Ken, see this bag right here? That's nice. Yeah, yeah it's, that's the Red Wing Offshore bag. It's become a cult item. <laughs> the only way you can win one is to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in. We give away one lucky winner a week. And audience, not just Ken and Nate can win this one. Y'all can too. So go ahead and enter. It takes all of 30 seconds. And I promise you, we've heard this from too many companies. All of your coworkers in the office, especially if you work in the office, will be jealous if you walk in with the Red Wing Offshore bag. Patrick, who's our winner this week? And this week's winner, the Red Wing Offshore bag, is Chris Baldwin of Chevron. Chris is a safety specialist and one of our previous guests. Congratulations, Chris. So, Nate and uh, Ken, man, this has been great stuff. We're getting to where we need to wind down the show. But if people want to find out more about your company, where should they go? You can go to apexsystems.com, all one word, and check us out on our website. Go ahead and check in the Industries tab. We have a special oil and gas industry page just for this industry, and you'll find out more about how our systems apply for oil and gas applications. Yeah, so not only will we link back to the website, Patrick, let's link back to the page that you just talked about so our our oil and gas audience can go directly to that page. Yeah, absolutely, and I've been digging around. You've got a good article on how to reduce fire suppression system maintenance costs. I'm going to link to that one as well. I think that's a a valuable resource that you have on your site. Thank you. People wanted to find out about y'all personally. I'm guessing LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best way to find me. Yeah, and we'll put links in the show notes to both y'all's LinkedIn profiles. All right, so if you've listened to the show and you found it valuable, you're part of our community. You're our family, right? The HSE family. 
Help us grow your community. Share the show. Really simple. Social media, all company email. If you do the all company email, take a screenshot, send me a picture. I'll send you something <laughs> really cool. And then hats off to uh, Emin at David Studio. He is our new audio editing team member. He's doing a fantastic job. He's the reason that all the podcasts sound so good. Emin is a pro. If you have a podcast or think about doing a podcast, he will cut you a discount to have yours edited as well as he's editing ours. All you got to do is put OGG in the beginning of the message. Uh, shoot him an email. Patrick will put a link in the show notes there as well. I mean, I was pretty good, but he is better. <laughs> no, no you, you, you got really good. I, and, you know, I, I'm not good dog Jake publicly on the microphone, even though I just said his name. <laughs> But Jake is probably our most technically expert as far as editing audio, but he's always in a hurry, so he makes mistakes, <laughs> whereas Patrick takes his time and gets it done right. Jake's would be better if he'd remember just to turn his microphone <laughs> on. remember to turn his microphone on. If uh, you like the show and you like our other shows, which if you don't know our other shows, we have Oil & Gas This Week and Oil & Gas Industry Leaders. All of those shows, the sister is our LinkedIn group, so OGGN, a LinkedIn group. Go check it out. Go join. It will be where you can find out about stuff we're doing second. If you want to find out about what we're doing first, when you go to the website, Oil & Gas HSE, give us your email address. We won't spam you, and that's how you'll find out what the stuff we're doing Mark's first. Mark's on a streak. He's actually saying our URL right in the last three shows, last I three think. last three shows. Because I actually wrote a note to make sure I said it. <laughs> and then normally this is when you hear me talk about our on-the-road sponsors. Well, that's over with. We're not having on-the-road sponsors for 2018. We want to drive better results for our sponsors at a lower cost. So we're now we're having event sponsors. We have a list of about 42 events. We may end up sticking this on the website so people can go look. But if one of those events align with your target audience, you can let us know, and uh, we'll be happy to share details with you but you're the sponsor just for that event you get listed on the podcast you get interviews you get video interviews you get to come with us as press so you get exposure you could not buy for less than a cost of you actually exhibiting in any of these places Whew, a lot of stuff going on that was uh, a lot <laughs> yeah anything else patrick ready to get out of here uh, i think so yeah so uh ken and nate thank you so much for being on the show this has been great thanks for having us thank you very much yeah so folks don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great y'all be safe out there Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. I was on a frack site and had to use the restroom. And so I asked the guy where was the, you know, the, the blue, uh, what you call porta potty. Porta potty. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. I know a shortcut. Follow me. <laughs> so we go under the blender, <laughs> <laughs> under the, the sand conveyor, past the tree and then out to the porta potties. <laughs> and then he's like, you can find your way back, right? I'm like, yeah. So I get back way later and he did, what takes you so long? I was like, yeah, I, I went the truck route. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's actually funny. Yeah.